Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. The first scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today is taken from John's Gospel. And we are picking up right after Mary... Uh, has, as Jesus has appeared to Mary, and she recognized him in the garden after he spoke to her. Uh, verse 18, I'll end that and just go right into our reading in 19. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So we're in John 20 into 19 and following. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had just met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. <clears throat> so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them again and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. 
Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. So there's a story about a little boy who is out doing what little boys do, playing in the backyard. He's climbing trees. He's playing with sticks. He's swinging off the jungle gym. He's rolling around in the dirt with his dog. And then mom screams her head out of the the back porch and says, come on in, it's time for dinner. So he comes to the table and sits down. And she said, did you wash your hands? So he wipes his hands a little bit and says, no, no. How many times do I have to tell you that you are full of germs when you're outside, you're going to get germy, you're going to get sick. We're going to say the prayer, then go wash your hands and come back for dinner. So they say the prayer, and then the boy gets up, and he stomps away and says, Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs, that's all I ever hear around this place, and I ain't ever seen either one of them. (laughs) Jesus and germs. Well, today we see Jesus, or at least the disciples do. We are picking up right where we left off last week where we celebrated the resurrection. In John's account, it was Mary herself that went to the tomb and found it open. She ran back to get Peter and the unnamed disciples who both ran down to the tomb, looked in, didn't see anything, and went back away. And it's at this point that the two angels come and talk to Mary and said, he's not here. And then she starts weeping and turns around and Jesus is right there, but she supposes him to be the gardener until she speaks, until he speaks her name. She realizes it and and Jesus says, go and tell others what you have seen. And it ends with her going to the disciples and saying, I have seen the Lord. First proclamation in John's gospel by Mary Magdalene. So we pick up right away. And in 19, it starts the evening of that same day. So later on, they are perplexed. Mary has seen, but nobody else has seen. So they are still living in fear. They are quite literally still in Good Friday. They are still dealing with the darkness of Jesus having died in such an awful way, dealing with Jesus having betrayed them because he wasn't who he said he was. And on top of that, the Jews, the the temple guards and security are still looking for them because they were a part of this Jesus sect that they want to stamp out now. So they're behind closed doors. They're afraid. At any second, they're afraid the door will be kicked in and they will be taken and killed as well. So quite literally still in Good Friday, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. Do you think they experienced peace at that moment? I bet they didn't. I bet they all got up and ran to the other side of the room. 
And so they took a second and they looked and there's Jesus standing there. Wounds in his hands, they heard his voice, they're looking directly at him and they rejoice. They understand and they start rejoicing. And the second time Jesus says, peace be with you, it's, it's almost, okay, all right, all right, calm down, yep, it's me. And he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, breathes on them. That, that same word that we know throughout the Bible, ruach, spirit, breath, wind, the same word used when God breathed life into Adam in Genesis 2, the same word used when God blows life into uh, the Ezekiel dry bones passage. And in both cases, Adam and the valley of the dry bones, the shells of the human beings are reformed, or in Adam's case, formed, but they're not alive, they're not human until God breathes God's breath into them. Not unlike what we're experiencing here. So the disciples receive the Holy Spirit and it's John's account of what we call Pentecost. Pentecost is a simple word that means 50 days. So we celebrate Luke's account of Pentecost 50 days from last week, which will be the Pentecost in 50 days that we will celebrate where the Spirit descended, tongues of fire, they all spoke different languages, but they understood each other. The church begins at that point, the disciples finally understand and then go out from that point, clearly preaching that Christ has been raised. But with John, it does it all right here. He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit and sends, I send you out, God sent me, now I'm sending you out. You have seen me, now you can go. Great, except Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if he had made the Starbucks run or went to grab lunch at Wendy's or what have you, but whatever he was doing, he wasn't there. So when he comes back, they say, you will never believe this, Jesus appeared to us. What? He was here, stood in this room, didn't even come through the door, just came and showed us. I don't think so. I will have to see him for myself. I will have to touch him for myself. I will have to put my finger in his wounds for me to believe that this is real. Now, I don't know why he didn't believe his friends. These were the same people who had nothing to gain. Maybe he thought they were pranking him. Maybe they were picking on him and thought he was the fool in this scenario. Don't tell me Jesus rose. That's, that's not funny, ha ha. These were the ones that had been with him in the trenches of their ministry of Holy Week, Good Friday, the Last Supper, all of this. But for whatever reason, he didn't believe. And I read this not as he doubted so much as that he didn't want to dare believe that this could be true. He would still, in essence, in Good Friday, Jesus is still dead to him, as he was to the disciples the week before. And after he had been crushed, his spirit crushed, in the morning, in the grief of all of that that went wrong on Friday, don't tell me that Jesus arose. I, I refused to even entertain that that's a possibility. I am too damaged to go back to that belief 
What we know about Thomas really only comes from John's gospel. He's in all four gospels listed with the disciples, but only in John do we get a few glimpses. So earlier on in John 11, if you remember every time Jesus came to Jerusalem, he would often stay in Bethany. Who lived in Bethany? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right. His close friends that kind of became his family. He would stay with them when he was coming in and out of Judea, in and out of Jerusalem. And Jesus says in 11, before he raises Lazarus, he says, let's go, I want to go to Bethany. I want to go back to Judea. And his disciples say, oh, no, 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 it's too dangerous. They may kill you if you go back. And Jesus is unconcerned and wants to go and says, we're going. And it's Thomas who says, well, if he goes, then let us all go and die with him. Let us go and die with him. That's not a wishy-washy statement of someone who has no faith. Matter of fact, that's pretty gutsy. Lord, we will go where you go. If you die, we will die. We will be right there with you. That is not a doubting Thomas. Second time we hear from Thomas and John, it's the Last Supper. And this is in John 14, and Jesus is telling them, this place where I go, my father's mansion, there will be dwelling places. I've gone to prepare a place for you. You know the way. And Thomas says, uh, I don't know the way. Can you tell us how to get there? Jesus probably rolls his eyes. Thinking one of those things where, again, Jesus is on this heaven and earth realm, this kingdom of God, and he's being taken quite literally. Thomas is saying, what, what, I got my math program, how do I get there? there you got to go to AAA Jerusalem and get a triptych from the old days, you remember? I don't you think Jesus responded. <laughs> so that's the second time. Again, there's no doubt there. He is seeking answers to questions. And then, of course, the third time here, he gets the nickname of Doubting Thomas. So a week later from the first crowd when he wasn't there, the second a week later, he's there in the room. doesn't say that the door's locked, but they say the door's shut. And Jesus again appears, peace be with you. Probably didn't say it that way. And Thomas is right there, and Jesus, knowing his words, repeats almost his words verbatim. Come and put your hands in my wounds. Come and put your hands in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. Don't doubt, but believe. Great words from Jesus to all of us, just right there. And before anything else, Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. Thomas had seen him and heard him. Scripture never says that he put his finger in the wound, although that's kind of what we see in our mind. That's your bulletin cover. Makes me a little queasy when I look at it. Jesus invites him to touch him physically. But then Scripture doesn't say, and he touched his wounds, or he placed his finger in his side. The invitation came, and right away, he responded, my Lord and my God, it is you. As if to say that Christ's words were enough to convince him that he was right there. 
And as far as senses go, he was seeing and he was hearing. I think Thomas shouldn't be seen as doubting Thomas. Because again, I don't think through what we know about him, he seemed wishy-washy at all. I think more so in this quick affirmation, we get one of the greatest affirmations of the Bible. Thomas the Proclaimer, that's what we should call him. And Mary Magdalene the Proclaimer as well. But not, he gets doubting Thomas. Why do you doubt? Don't doubt, but believe. Easy words, easier said than done. Doubt is one of those things that is difficult to wrestle with. We often can lock ourselves in a place of doubt, sometimes in fear, sometimes that renders us paralyzed. Sometimes we find safety and comfort in doubt. There is a story by a preacher, William Self, who tells a story of of a time he went to a university campus to speak to a class. And after the class, the preacher's leaving, and this young man comes up in the hallway and says, I didn't like a single thing you said today. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. What, what exactly did you disagree with? He said, well, okay, I didn't really hear anything you said, but I don't really like preachers at all. And he said, well, okay, I, I'm with you. I often don't like a lot of preachers as well. Um, but why are you here? Tell me, are you... Are, are you a person of faith? How would you kind of categorize yourself? And he says, I'm a seeker. A seeker. Oh, fantastic. So tell me how you're seeking. Are you, are you meeting with other seekers? Are y'all getting together and kind of hashing this out? And he says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not I'm meeting with anybody. And he says, oh, well, well how about what, what you're reading? Are you reading something? I, I got, this is my world. I got all kinds of resources I can talk to you about. You all get together and you, do you read, are you reading? Well, no, I'm not reading anything. And so finally the conversation goes on a little bit and the preacher says, I, with all due respect, I don't, I don't think you're a seeker. I think you're a runner. And I think you're hiding. By not making a decision about faith, you have made a decision about faith. And you are hiding in your unbelief. Now, it seems a little bit harsh for our seeker friend, except that the word seeker is a verb. It is active. And I think sometimes as seekers, and I think as people who have doubts, we stand in that category as something noble, and then we don't do a thing. He called him out because he wasn't seeking. He just said he was a seeker. What are you doing to seek? Well, nothing. Then you're not seeking. You're kind of sitting in a place of neutrality, not trying to move yourself forward. Being in a place of doubt is not bad at all. All of us have doubts. None of us have it all figured out. Billy Graham didn't know it all. He didn't know all the Bible, couldn't recite it. Beginning to end, he knew a lot. And a lot of people know a lot, but nobody knows it all. That's God's design, I'm convinced. So we can help one another as we're being led by the Spirit and the revelation of Scripture. But sometimes doubt is a comfortable place for us. 
Because we, especially as Presbyterians, we're all in our mind, we're working different theories and theologies. And I heard about this on the radio, saw this at church. A friend of mine said this, I read, I saw, I heard. Fantastic, all that's great. But if it stays in there, we are locked and we are not seeking. All of us are seekers, no matter how faithful we are. We should all be actively seeking a closer and deeper relationship with Christ, with one another, with God, the world. But we can also say, well, I don't have it all figured out, and in my doubt, I'm just going to, I'll keep coming every now and again, and I'm going to step back. I don't really need to articulate my faith that way. If somebody asks me why I can, oh, I don't don't know, I just go, it's a pretty church. I don't know much about that, Jesus. Oh, the music is fantastic. You should hear it about you. I don't know. Sermons are good, but I, you know, what do I know? We all do that. We all feel like that because we think everybody else knows more about faith than we do, and that's wrong. Each of you here knows enough. You believe enough. When we let doubt take us over, we become paralyzed because we're afraid that somebody's going to call us foolish or we feel like we might be at risk of being exposed as a fraud, and we're not. Don't let doubt take you over. It's not a place to live, but doubt is necessary for faith. Doubt itself is not bad. It was Thomas's prompting of wanting to see and touch Christ that allowed him to get to his affirmation of faith, my Lord and my God. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky, 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 wrote Crime and Punishment and many others, mid-18th century. <laughs> there's, there's sign going on in the choir loft. He said, uh, a direct quote from him, I do not believe as children do. My hosannas have been forged in the crucible of doubt. My hosannas, meaning his praise for Jesus, his, his faith, his life, what he believes, have been forged in the crucible of doubt. A crucible is a space where external forces make something change and something new emerge, like the refiner's fire that we hear in Malachi. Our life is a crucible that God is continuing to exert external forces that we may come out more pure, more holy, closer in our walk with Christ and with one another. But it is through that crucible, what is it? Of doubt. Someone uh, also has quoted that doubt is like the front porch to the house of faith. You have to go through one to get to the other. And my favorite that I think I shared the last time I preached on this was from Frederick Buechner, my favorite theological, uh, intellectual, heady quotes, says, doubt are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep you alive and awake. Doubt are the ants in the pants of faith. Lest we become too comfortable, lest we sit in the doubt and never let it transform us to the other side, so we can come out stronger and more faithful. Don't fear doubt, embrace it. But don't live there either. 
or we can call that a cop-out and never take a stand because we're always waiting for the next little bit of proof to put us in the right place. Stand now. Christ emerged from the tomb last week and is pulling us up so that we may stand on what they saw and what now we will witness to in our lives. So we need to be able to stand and to affirm, as Thomas the Proclaimer did, and say, my Lord and my God. My Lord, meaning my master, God, giving him the divinity and all the power, short and concise and sweet. You get up in the morning, you can't pray, you don't have time for devotional, you say, my Lord and my God. One of the greatest affirmations of the Bible. So we need to be able to get to that point. And second, to embrace the doubt as a part of our faith. And in doing so, we will be able to claim a closer walk with the risen Christ and be able to proclaim with enough certainty and doubt, my God, my Lord and my God. Say that with me, my Lord and my God. Again, my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh,